millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and today we're looking once again at the Suez Crisis and some of the paradoxes uh, of it and we're, we're looking once again at the brilliant uh, fight or flight from Martin Thomas um, and questioning why it is that um, Anthony Eden and Guy Mollet, um, British and French Prime Ministers uh, respectively, uh, neither of which began their prime ministerial careers, or in the case of, of Eden as Churchill's long-standing foreign secretary, particularly looking to wage war in Egypt. So we're, we're curious at trying to identify what the key factor is that uh, brings about that transition, that change from, as Martin Thomas puts it, from flight to, to, to flight. Um, the, the the standard historiography of the uh, British post-war era is that the, the defining moment is, is Suez, after which uh, Britain goes into rapid uh, imperial decline. But this this doesn't really quite uh, quite quite work, um, as Martin Thomas points out. By 1956, British decolonisation from the Indian subcontinent was an accomplished fact, and its progress was uh, far advanced in Southeast Asia. Sub-Saharan Africa. After 1956, Britain's Middle Eastern presence no longer hinged on Egypt, but it did not disappear. Instead, it shifted eastwards towards the Persian Gulf and southern Arabia. Deposing Nasser was never an end in itself for France, but, as we shall see, was an adjunct to a strategy of conflict uh, escalation in Algeria uh, that continued regardless of the failure in Egypt. So France is really the, the 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 key issue for France is Algeria uh, and the uh, Algerian struggle for independence. And in the case of of Britain, um, already uh, by the time you get to 1956, uh, the decline of the British Empire is is already um, uh, in in rapid 
um, advance. It doesn't happen. Uh, um, the, the pace doesn't escalate anymore uh, after 1956. Um, uh, the argument here is that there is uh, simply a kind of a Middle Eastern transition away from Egypt and towards uh, Arabia, obviously uh, British imperialists following the oil. Um, he adds, further complexity emerges when one recalls that Eden's Middle Eastern record as Churchill's foreign secretary after 1951 boasted some successes. He helped negotiate the Anglo-Egyptian Treaty settlement in 1954 to evacuate British troops from the Suez Canal zone and mend fences with the colonel's regime that seized power in the Young Officers' Revolution on the 23rd of July 1952. Um, so, so Eden himself um, is a kind of a, a curious and contradictory figure who seemed to be um, making the best of um, imperial decline in Egypt, uh, the withdrawal of British troops from the, uh, the important, uh, the all-important canal zone. This was something that the Labour government from 45 to 51 had failed to, to do, um, and that um, Eden had actually persuaded Churchill that withdrawal was the, the right thing to do, uh, Churchill obviously was extremely, uh, it was extremely difficult for him to uh, accept that British soldiers must leave uh, Suez. And finally, um, in late January 1952, uh, British forces had um, fought a series of battles um, from their Suez Canal base uh, uh, against the Egyptian police, which had uh, left um, uh, many uh, Egyptian police officers wounded and killed uh, and it was um, this kind of affront to Egyptian sovereignty that had led to the, the colonel's coup that had brought uh, Nasser into power um, and had, had deposed the uh, decadent King Farouk of, of Egypt um, so the uh, belief that Eden had, um, and this is what he convinced Churchill of, was that eventually once things had settled down in Egypt and sovereignty had been handed uh, back to the Egyptians for the canal zone, that some favourable deal could be worked out between the British and the Egyptians, which would be the kind of the win-win scenario and would see uh, Britain retain control over aspects of the of the running of the canal, turns out that this was not going to be possible. Now, um, equally unlikely warmonger um, was the French uh, the French government, um, which was uh, led by uh, Guy Mollet's uh, socialists uh, and Pierre Mendes's uh, radicals, who had uh, come to power promising. Uh, some kind of breakthrough, some kind of political development in, uh, in Algeria. A younger electorate that was fed up with conflict that had certainly been um, enormously um, dismissive of uh, the attempts by France to recolonise French Indochina, uh, not out of, uh, particularly out of some deep sense of solidarity with the Indochinese peoples, but with um, a, a lack of 
any real um, interest in or desire to know what French imperialism, uh, what, what French imperial ties there were with Indochina. Um, the young French people who were growing up in the aftermath of the Second World War, enjoying uh, a gradual return to some kind of prosperity, thinking, why on earth are we fighting a war on the other side of the world that has no uh, relevance or, on, or, or bearing on me? Um, and uh, the, it was this, this same generation who um, had um, misgivings, grave misgivings, about risking um, the lives of young French servicemen in Algeria, over the, the uh, growing violence there. So, uh, Martin Thomas writes, the, the voters who put them in office, the um, Republican front of uh, the socialists and the radicals, um, were younger, more bourgeois, and more female than those who preferred their right-wing opponents. Um, so they hardly constituted a war party. As a young Turk, secretary-general of the Socialist Party in 1946-47, Molay had lambasted the older generation of socialist politicians that engaged, had engaged France more deeply in the, in the Indochina War. Ten years later, under Pierre Comin, Molay's successor as party secretary, the socialists directed secret contacts with Algerian nationalist leaders based in Cairo for much of, the of 1956, hoping to negotiate a ceasefire. But Molay had, by this point, dropped his earlier objections to engaging in colonial conflict. Within weeks of becoming premier, Molay defied those uh, amongst his socialist colleagues in France and abroad who considered immediate independence uh, and, uh, the only just outcome for Algerians. Nonsense, he argued. Algerian majority rule would not be democratic or equitable, it would be dystopian and violent. Algeria's settlers would be marginalised, evicted and maybe even worse in a country likely to become either a one-party state, a theocratic Muslim regime or a perverse mixture of both. So something really interesting can be observed here. Um, a, a political party, a political leader um, that is begins their career in the in the case of Molay uh, in a spirit of kind of political ra radicalism, internationalism, and solidarity with independence movements. Very quickly embraces more realpolitik and small c conservative uh, ideas about um, the uh, about independence as he becomes more established in power. The idea that one can simply dismiss the Algerian demands for independence um, and to look upon Algeria as firstly um, a country that would uh, not embrace the kind of the model of democracy that France would uh, hope, it, uh, hope it would aspire to or, or that France itself would try to emulate. And also that uh, white European French settlers in Algeria would become the uh, oppressed minority in that country. I mean, all of these things are entirely possible, uh, and the, uh, the, the future, the independence of Algeria, is an extremely uh, violent and, and bloody affair, uh, something that we talk about in a, or we'll talk about in a later podcast. But um, Molay's uh, ability, and this is modelled in countless other democratic socialist or socially democratic 
uh, Western uh, parties um, that uh, very quickly find that there is um, a, a vein of imperialism uh, and colonialism uh, running through them. Molay's um, ability to, to embrace that and still see it in, in, in his eyes in progressive terms, you know, we, we can't leave Algeria, you know, modern, civilised, democratic Algeria, though uh, you know, arguably not very democratic at all, um, to the mercies of, of the mob, um, because things will get extremely violent um, and very ugly there. Um, there is some really interesting discourses around labour imperialism in the 1950s and labour colonialism um, in um, forgotten, uh, forgotten Wars and Forgotten Armies um, uh, by um, Harper and Bailey. Uh, they do make the point that um, after the Second World War, um, the reconstruction of Malaya um, was uh, done by uh, a Labour government fairly certain that they would hang on to Malaya and that um, as uh, kind of Joseph Chamberlain had done as colonial secretary at the end of the 19th and early 20th and beginning of the early 20th centuries, they'd thought that it was, it was time really to kind of improve uh, the Englishman's estate in, uh, in Asia. Uh, and some more, uh, more radical arguments suggest that the uh, improved living standards that post-war Britain, uh, the working classes in post-war Britain enjoyed, were based on the extraction of wealth from the remaining colonies of the, the British Empire. Um, but again, as with Algeria, that's a conversation for uh, another time. Uh, Mendes, um, the other uh, key figure uh, of the uh, Republican Front, um, was informed by his uh, humanitarian beliefs and his sense that there were costs and benefits to be evaluated by uh, the continued presence of, of France in Algeria. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was quite accustomed to being accused of, of treachery and uh, weakness by the right. Uh, something uh, far more so than, than Molay, because um, he had previously been involved in the withdrawal by France from uh, Morocco and uh, Tunisia, so um, he had been become a sort of like a a, a hate figure amongst the uh, the French right and, and also the colonial settlers uh, in uh, Algeria. Uh, Martin Thomas writes, applauded by some, he was loathed by others for making France face up to the imperial uh, to the imperatives of withdrawal from Vietnam and the two North African protectorates uh, through Tunisia and Morocco. Pierre Mendes might have steered the Republican Front towards a flight solution, um, an exit strategy uh, from Algeria, constructed uh, around early talks with the uh, Liberation Front, the FLN Front, um, had he uh, remained in government. Instead, he resigned his ministerial post in May unimpressed by the coalition's financial management and disconcerted by its adventurism in Algeria. Molay was by then heeding others, more be- other more belligerent voices, the Minister for Defence, the Minister of the Army, um, and the head of the French Overseas Intelligence Service. As we previously, discu- previously discussed, one of the chief objectives for uh, overthrowing Nasser uh, for the French was less to do with the canal zone itself, and the, that was a, a chief British priority, and more with destroying NASA as a, um, a figure, a, a, sort of a, a rallying figure for pan-Arab nationalism, because um, NASA obviously gave considerable assistance to the FLN in uh, Algeria and was uh, an outspoken critic of French imperialism there uh, and uh, a, a, a key sort of... Um, a key uh, problem for for France, uh, not just in Egypt but also Algeria too. Um, so there was uh, Molay was uh, influenced by more hawkish uh, figures, um, was more uh, susceptible to the argument that France's problems, particularly the problems in Algeria, could be quickly dealt with with an intervention in, in Egypt. Uh, and the uh, idea um, that uh, a lightning strike against Egypt uh, might um, work was, was added to by the fact that, it, in the case of France, and we shall also say, see in the case of Britain uh, uh, as well, there, there hadn't been a, a full acceptance that uh, France had really lost its, its kind of great power status and the ability to act unilaterally in the world. Uh, and therefore, the idea that a French uh, statesman might have to ask a US president for their blessing in these sorts of, of operations had still not really fully sunk in to the, uh, the, the, the French uh, diplomatic uh, and uh, political elites. The British were perhaps more aware of this, which makes their decision to fly in the face of international law to um, be condemned by the United Nations and to defy um, the President of the United States, uh, President Eisenhower, 
um, all the more curious. Um, Martin Thomas writes, What turned these once shrewd British and French proponents of flight into implacable advocates of fight in 1956, or to avoid reducing Suez to the wrong-headed adoption of a harder line by individual leaders, what drove Britain into such disastrous confrontation in defiance of international law, UN opinion, and its Washington ally? And why did Molay's administration follow suit? Avowedly uh, committed to talks with the Algerian National Liberation Front, the Republican Front reversed its course, making regime change in Cairo a central plank of its scheme to keep Algeria French. So there are two possibilities there. First, the first possibility is the political atmosphere in which key decisions were being made in London and Paris. Uh, the, second, the second answer is the underlying conviction amongst most of the decision makers that decisive action was essential to arrest their declining imperial position. So there were figures, military, intelligence, diplomatic and political figures, saying the reason why we are in the mess we are, the reason why we've lost so much since the end of World War II, and this was being said in both Paris and London, is we have been indecisive. Every single time we have backed down, every single time we have retreated, every single time we have said in India, in Palestine, in Africa, in Indochina, um, that the, the, the fight is not worth it. And there was a, an, an element here, uh, once again, uh, in a, with a great deal of naivety about the, the, kind of the, the wider political situation, of both the British and the French saying enough is enough, that we've had enough humiliations, uh, and the, there's an assumption that if we do do this, either A, the Americans won't intervene, or the Russians won't intervene, or if they do, well, we've still got e enough firepower uh, and enough um, soft power to um, be able to diplomatically deal with the Americans and uh, you know, fend off the Russians if they uh, decided that they were going to become kind of hostile. Of course, these, this is the stuff of fantasy, uh, and these fantasies, uh, as we uh, sometimes see in international affairs, these fantasies crumble um, on the contact with, uh, with reality. So, uh, Martin Thomas writes, The mistakes of Suez, in other words, uh, derived in part from the flawed assumptions within tight-knit governing groups that were increasingly unreceptive to contrary advice. A classic case of groupthink, or the mutual reinforcement of shared presumptions among crisis decision-makers, this also amounted to a breakdown of cabinet government in both countries. It became more difficult, in consequence, to respond constructively to deeper impersonal forces, the inexorable disaggregation of the British and French empires, the heightened importance of the Middle East within the global Cold War, and the rising militancy amongst various strains of Arab nationalism. None of these dilemmas was new, but each was fatally misinterpreted as policy planning became more restrictive, secretive and uncompromising. It would be a mistake to think that America was completely unreceptive to the idea of removing NASA. What America, in, in the view of James Barr, was keen on uh, removing from the Middle East was Great Britain. Um, the, the British 
uh, and the Americans uh, in his uh, book Lords of the Desert had been mutually antagonistic towards one another, um, not quite as uh, as antagonistic as the um, uh, British and the French were in Syria uh, and Iraq, um, playing some hideously dirty tricks against one another. But the um, the, the, the the British and the French, the British and the Americans um, had a, a long-standing simmering rivalry uh, over uh, Egypt uh, and Saudi Arabia. Uh, the the Americans weren't um, particularly enamoured with NASA. They were shocked, and Eisenhower was outraged by the annexation uh, of the Suez Canal in 1956, which is what in this series of talks on. Um, the uh, Suez Crisis will uh, we, we will get on to, but he wanted the Americans particularly wanted um, to remove NASA on their terms and on, on their time scale. Uh, the British and the Americans had colluded in 1953 with the um, removal of Dr. Mohammed Mossadegh, uh, the uh, nationalist uh, leader of, of Iran. Um, who had dared to threaten uh, the ownership of the uh, Anglo-Iranian oil company, the, um, which now is, is British Petroleum, um, and the uh, and then threatened to to kind of nationalise it. So uh, America's um, dislike of Britain's unilateral action. That takes some more exploring here. It is, it's not simply the case that, uh, uh, that the British didn't ask for America's blessing first. Uh, America had its own uh, long-standing game to play uh, in the Middle East, and the, the prize, of course, is uh, Middle Eastern oil. Um, and this game had been played against the British, and the British had played it quite successfully back against the Americans in various ways since um, midway through... Uh, the uh, the Second World War. Um, so the realities um, for for the British were that uh, as a, a a power in relative decline, not absolute decline, relative decline, they lacked the uh, ability to control really the world economy as they had done in the nineteenth century. Uh, and this would prove to be their Achilles' heel. This is where um, uh, leverage uh, and pressure could be brought to bear on Great Britain, uh, and um, the British were forced eventually to to back down. Uh, and this is the kind of the real source of, of Britain's um, uh, weakness uh, in the post-war era. Britain is no longer an economic hegemon um, and able to uh, control really, the, the, the terms of, of world trade and finance, uh, and so has to um, uh, accept uh, that the, uh, the largest economy in the world um, would impose nothing short of sanctions on Britain had it not withdrawn from Suez. Okay, so we're, we're going to finish there. And I'd really like to finish with a, with a kind of a, um, a question, well, a request, really, um, I, I'm hoping we could really 
develop the debate within the Explaining History Facebook group. And I'd just like to invite you all to come and, and discuss the Suez Crisis um, I, and um, throw open um, the long-term roots of the crisis and what it meant for Britain's global position uh, and what it meant for uh, European colonialism uh, after 1956. So do come along and I'll put a, a question in the in the Facebook group that we can hopefully um, start a, a kind of a discussion around. It'd be great to, to get to know some of you guys um, and great to, to hear from you. So uh, do come along and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thanks, all the best, bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.